Section 45 of Narratives of Colored Americans. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Narratives of Colored Americans by Abigail Mott and M. S. Wood. Gustavus Vasa. Taken from his narrative, written about the year 1787. I offer here neither the history of a saint, a hero, nor a tyrant. I believe there are few events in my life which have not happened to many, but when I compare my lot with that of many of my countrymen, I acknowledge the mercies of Providence in the occurrences that have taken place. That part of Africa, known by the name of Guinea, to which the trade for slaves is carried on, extends along the coast above 3,400 miles, from Senegal to Angola, and includes a variety of kingdoms. The most considerable of these is Benin. As it respects its extent, wealth and richness of soil. It is bounded on the sea 170 miles, and its interior seems only terminated by the empire of Abyssinia, near 1,500 miles from its first boundaries. In one of the most remote and fertile provinces of this kingdom I was born, in the year 1745. As our country is one where nature is prodigal of her favors, our wants, which are few, are easily supplied. All our industry is turned to the improvement of those blessings and we are habituated to labor from our early years, and by this means we have no beggars. Our houses never exceed one story, and are built of wood, thatched with reeds, and the floors are generally covered with mats. The dress of both sexes consists of a long piece of calico or muslin wrapped loosely around the body. Our beds are also covered with the same kind of cloth. This the women make when they are not engaged in labor with the men. Our tillage is in a large common, and all the people resort thither in a body and unite in the labor. My father, being a man of rank, had a numerous family. His children consisted of one daughter and a number of sons, of which I was the youngest. As I generally attended my mother, she took great pains in forming my mind and training me to exercise. In this way, I grew up to about the eleventh year of my age, when an end was put to my happiness in the following manner. One day, when all our people were gone to their work, and only my dear sister and myself were left to watch the house. Two men and a woman came, and seizing us both, stopped our mouths that we should not make a noise, and ran off with us into the woods, where they tied our hands and took us some distance to a small house, where we stayed that night. The next morning, after keeping in the woods some distance, we came to an opening, where we saw some people at work, and I began to cry for assistance, but this made them tie us faster, and again stop our mouths and they put me into a sack until we had got out of sight of these people. When they offered us food, we could not eat, often bathing each other in tears. Our only respite was sleep, but alas, even the privilege of weeping together was soon denied us. While enclosed in each other's arms, we were torn asunder, and I was left in a state of distress not to be described. After traveling a great distance, suffering many hardships, and being sold several times, one evening my dear sister was brought to the same house. We were both so overcome that we could not speak for some time, but clung to each other and wept. And when the people were told that we were brother and sister, they indulged us with being together. And one of the men at night lay between us, and allowed us to hold each other's hands across him. This comfort, small as it may appear to some, was not so to us, but it was of short duration. When morning came, we were again separated, and I never saw her more. I remembered the happiness of our childish sports, the indulgence of maternal affection, and feared that her lot would be still harder than mine, fixed her image so indelibly on my mind that neither prosperity nor adversity has ever erased it, 
I once attempted to run away, but when I got into the woods and night came on, I became alarmed with the idea of being devoured by wild beasts, and with trembling steps and a sad heart, I returned to my master's house and laid down in his fireplace, where I was found in the morning. Being closely reprimanded by my master, he ordered me to be taken care of, and I was soon sold again. I then traveled through a very fertile country, where I saw coconuts and sugarcane. All the people I had hitherto seen resembled my own, and having learned a little of several languages, I could understand them pretty well. But now, after six or seven months had passed away, from the time I was kidnapped, I arrived at the sea coast, and I beheld that element which before I had no idea of. It also made me acquainted with such cruelties as I can never reflect upon but with horror. The first object that met my sight was a slave ship riding at anchor, waiting for her cargo. When I was taken on board, being roughly handled and closely examined by these men, whose complexion and language differed so much from any I had seen or heard before, I apprehended I had got into a world of bad spirits, which so overcame me that I fainted and fell. When I came to, their horrible looks and red faces frightened me again exceedingly, but I had not time to think much about it before I was, with many of my poor country people, put under deck in a loathsome and horrible place. In this situation we wished for death, and sometimes refused to eat, and for this we were beaten. After enduring more hardships than I can relate, we arrived at Barbados, in the West Indies. When taken on shore, we were put into a pen like so many beasts, and then sold and separated, husbands and wives, parents and children, brothers and sisters, without any distinction. Their cries excited some compassion in the hearts of those who were capable of feeling, but others seemed to feel no remorse, though the scene was so affecting. I, with some others, was sent to America. When we arrived in Virginia, we were also sold and separated. Not long after, Captain Pascal, coming to my master's, purchased me and sent me on board his ship, called the Industrious Bee. I had not yet learned much of the English language, so I could not understand their conversation, and some of them made me believe I was going home to Africa. This pleased me very much, and the kind treatment I received made me happy. But when we came inside of England, I found they had deceived me. It was on board of this ship I received the name of Gustavus Vasa. Having often seen my master, and a lad named Richard Baker, who was very kind to me, reading in books, I had a desire to do so, that I might find out how all things had a beginning. For that purpose, I often took a book, talked to it, and then placed it to my ear to hear what it would say. But when I found it remained silent, I was much concerned. The summer of 1757, I was taken by a press gang, and carried on board a man-of-war. After passing about a year in this service, on the coast of France and in America, on my return to England, I received the much kindness, and was sent to school, where I learned to read and write. My master receiving the office of lieutenant on board one of those ships, took me with him up the Mediterranean. My desire for learning induced some of my shipmates to instruct me, so that I could read the Bible, and one of them, a sober man, explained many passages to me. As I had now served my master faithfully several years, and his kindness had given me hopes that he would grant my freedom when we arrived in England, I ventured to tell him so, but he was offended, for he had determined on sending me to the West Indies. Accordingly, at the close of the year 1762, finding a vessel bound thither, he took me on board and gave me in charge of the captain. I endeavored to expostulate with him by telling him he had received my wages and all my prize money, but it was to no purpose. Taking my only coat from my back, he went off in his boat. I followed them with aching eyes and a heart ready to burst with grief until they were out of sight. The captain, whose name was Doran, treated me very kindly, but we had a tempestuous voyage. When we came inside of Montserrat, 
remembering what I had seen on my first arrival from Africa, it chilled me to the heart, and brought nothing to my view but misery, stripes, and chains, and to complete my distress, two of the sailors robbed me of about eight guineas, which I had collected by doing little jobs on board the ships of war, and which I hid when my master took my coat. Having unladed the ship and laded her again for sea, the captain sent for me, when, with trembling steps and a faltering heart, I came to him. I found him sitting with Robert King, a Quaker and a merchant, and after telling me the charge he had to get me a good master, he said he had got me one of the best on the island. Mr. King also said he had bought me on account of my good character, to maintain which I had found to be of great importance, and that his home was in Philadelphia, where he expected to go soon, and he did not intend to treat me hard. He asked me what I could do. I answered, I can shave and dress hair pretty well, and that I have learned to refine wines. I could write and understood arithmetic as far as the rule of three. The character Captain Doran had given of my master I found to be correct. He possessed an amiable disposition and was very charitable and humane. In passing about the island, I had an opportunity of seeing the dreadful usage and wretched situation of the poor slaves, and it reconciled me to my condition and made me thankful for being placed with so kind a master. He was several times offered a great price for me, but he would not sell me. Having obtained three pence, I began a little trade, and soon gained a dollar, then more. With this, I bought me a Bible. Going in a vessel of my masters to Georgia and Charleston, a small venture I took on my return answered a very good purpose. In 1765, my master prepared for going to Philadelphia. With discrediting me for some articles and the little stock of my own, I laid in considerable, which elated me much and I told him I hoped I should soon obtain enough to purchase my freedom, which he promised me I should have when I could pay him what he gave for me. Between Montserrat and several ports in America, we made many trips. One circumstance occurred when I was in Georgia that was a serious one to me. Being in a yard with some slaves one evening, their master coming home drunk and seeing me, a stranger, he, with a stout man to help him, beaming so that I could not go aboard the ship, which gave the captain much anxiety. When he found me and saw the situation I was in, he wept. But by his kind attention and that of a skillful physician, I was in a few weeks able to go on board and attend to my business. Thus, passing from one port to another, with my kind master's and captain's indulgence, and my own indefatigable industry and economy, I obtained the sum required for my liberty. So, one morning, while they were at breakfast, I ventured to remind my master of what he had promised, and to tell him I had got the money, at which he seemed surprised. The captain told him I had come honestly by it and he must now fulfill his promise. Upon which he told me to get a manumission drawn, and he would sign it. At this intelligence my heart leaped for joy. When the whole was finished, and I was in reality free, I felt like another being. My joy was indescribable. My master and Captain Doran entreated me not to leave them, and gratitude induced me to stay, though I longed to see Captain Pascal, to let him know I was free. I now hired as a sailor, and our next voyage was to Savannah, when we were preparing to return and were taking some cattle on board, one of them butted the captain in the breast, which affected him so that he was unable to do duty, and he died before he reached our port. This was a heavy stroke for me, for he had been my true friend, and I loved him as a father. The winter following, I sailed again for Georgia, with the new captain, in the Nancy. But steering a more westerly course than usual, we soon got on the Bahama banks, where our vessel was wrecked, but no lives were lost. Getting on one of the islands, with some salt provision we had saved, we remained there many days, and suffered much for want of fresh water. When we were almost famished with hunger and thirst, we were found and carried to New Providence, where we were kindly treated, 
Thence, we were taken to Savannah, so to Martinico and Montserrat, having been absent about six months, and experienced the delivering hand of Providence more than once, when all human means seemed hopeless. After relating to Mr. King the loss of the Nancy, and the various hardships we had endured, I again told him my desire to go to England, and although he wished me to remain in his service, he consented, and gave me the following certificate. The bearer hereof, Gustavus Basso, was my slave upward of three years, during which time he always behaved himself well, and discharged his duty with honesty and assiduity. Our King Obtaining this certificate, I soon parted with my kind master, and arrived in England, when I here received my wages. I had thirty-seven guineas. I soon found my old captain, Pascal, who was surprised to see me, and asked how I came back. I told him, in a ship, to which he replied, I suppose you did not walk on the water. I now set my mind on getting more learning, and attending school diligently. My money not being sufficient, I hired myself to service a while, but having a desire to go again to the Mediterranean, I engaged on board a ship, where the mate taught me navigation. While at Smyrna, I saw many caravans from India. Among other articles, they brought great quantities of locusts, and a kind of post resembling French beans, though larger. They are sweet and palatable. In the spring of 1773, an expedition was fitted out to explore a northwest passage to India. Dr. Irving concluding to go, I accompanied him, and we went on board one of the vessels the 24th of May, and about the middle of June. By the use of the doctor's apparatus for making salt water fresh, we distilled from 26 to 40 gallons a day. On the 28th, we reached Greenland, where I found the sun did not set. We found large fields of ice, and to one of them, about 80 yards thick, we made our vessel fast, but we soon became so surrounded with ice that we could not move, and were in danger of being crushed to pieces. In this perilous situation, we remained 11 days. When the weather becoming more mild, and the wind changing, the ice gave way, and in about thirty hours, with hard labor, we got into open water, to our great joy, and arrived at Deptford, after an absence of four months, wherein we had experienced imminent dangers. Rejoicing to be again in England, I entered into service, and remained a considerable time, during which I began to reflect seriously on the many dangers I had escaped, particularly in my last voyage, and it made a serious impression on my mind, and my reflections were often turned to the awfulness of eternity. In this state I took to my Bible, rejoicing that I could read it for myself, and I received encouragement. While my mind was thus seriously impressed, I went several voyages to Spain, and being often led to look over the occurrences of my past life, I saw there had been the hand of providence to guide and protect me, though I knew it not, and when I considered my obligations to the Lord for his goodness, I wept. On our return, the last voyage, we picked up eleven Portuguese. Their vessel had sunk, with two of the crew and they were in a small open boat, without victuals, compass, water, or anything else, and must soon have perished. As soon as they got on board our vessel, they fell on their knees and thanked God for their deliverance. Thus I saw verified what was written in the 107th Psalm. From the years 1777 to 1784, I remained more quiet, but about the latter period I made a trip to New York, and one to Philadelphia. At the latter place, I was very much pleased to see the worthy Quakers easing the burdens of my oppressed countrymen. It also rejoiced my heart when one of these people took me to the free school, and I saw the children of my color instructed, and their minds cultivated to fit them for usefulness. Not long after my return, I found the government was preparing to make a settlement of free people of color on the coast of Africa, and that vessels were engaged to carry such as wished to go to Sierra Leone. I engaged this commissary, and we set sail with 426 persons, but the time of our arrival there, 
the rainy season having commenced, proved unfavorable, and some of us soon returned to England, where, since that period, I have been doing what I could for the relief of my much-injured country people. Having been early taught to look for the hand of God in minute circumstances, they have been of consequence to me, and aiming at simple truth in relating the incidents of my life. I hope some of my readers will gather instruction from them. Gregory, in his inquiry into the intellectual and moral faculties of the Negroes, states that after thirty years of a wandering and stormy life, Vasa established himself in London, where he married, and published his memoirs, which have been several times reprinted, the last edition in 1794, and it is proved of the most respectable testimony that he was the author. In 1789, he presented a petition to Parliament for the suppression of the slave trade. He also says that a son of his, named Sancho, having received a good education, was an assistant librarian to Sir Joseph Banks, and secretary to the Committee for Vaccination. And he concludes with this remark, If Vasa still lived, the bill which was lately passed, prohibiting the slave trade, would be consoling to his heart and to his old age. End of section 45